Hey, and welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. We are a church that is for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. We are passionate about helping people become fully devoted followers of Jesus. So if you're just joining us for the first time, we would love for you to check out our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. There you can find ways to connect with us and see what's happening at Crosspoint. Now, let's listen to this week's Sunday message. Good morning, church. Welcome back. It's good to see you guys. As always, it's good to be gathered here together, worshiping God. And as always, a special welcome to those of you who are joining us from home. Um, it's good to be here, and we hope that you'll be our guest uh, real soon. Now, today is week two of our fall teaching series, The Way. And so we've been looking at the Jesus lifestyle for the modern disciple. And so in this series, we've been observing the life of Jesus so we can adopt the ways of Jesus, not only so we can be formed into the likeness of Jesus, but so our, we can know our heavenly Father and see the kingdom of God advance in our city. Amen? That's what this is all about. This is why we're doing it. So just as a quick reminder before we get into it, if you're joining us for the first time, you can find today's message notes online. And this week, I've included um, some additional resources that have incredibly influence today's talk and last week's talk, and some people have asked for this, so you can find those uh, deeper study resources on the message notes. Uh, you can also find this, uh, this week's Disciples Life Inventory link for your personal use. That's great for personal examination and assessment. And uh, also because we believe discipleship is for the whole family, you can find the Family Discipleship Guide there too. And you know, we believe ministry begins with the immediate family. So for all these great materials, you can check out the crosspointchurch.ca slash notes. Now, last week, we looked at a vital foundation. We laid a vital foundation for the Jesus lifestyle that is personal, spiritual growth. And so we discovered if we don't surrender our lives to the leadership of Jesus, we cannot truly experience the four other transformative activities that mark a fully devoted follower of Jesus. So together we discovered that the devil hates to see you grow, but we already possess everything we need to take the next step. And so if you missed it, I encourage you just to go back and have a listen or watch on our YouTube channel. Now, today's talk is about the second mark of a disciple, which is pursuit. And so really simply at Crosspoint, this is what we mean when we talk about pursuit. We believe that pursuit is when a disciple seeks to know Christ personally above all things. They seek him through personal spiritual practices such as reading your Bible or prayer. They also seek him publicly through worship like we are together today in the body of Christ and encouraging each other in our fellowship and so we want to know Jesus more than anything here at Crosspoint. And there are actually so many ways to do this. And as I said, we do this through spiritual practices, both individually and corporately. And it could be by reading God's word, the holy scriptures that we find in our Bibles. It can be through regular prayer, conversations directly with God, between you and God. It can also be when we gather, like we are today, to worship and encourage each other. And somehow the Holy Spirit uses this all to change us. But this is just a short list. All of these and more can be categorized as in two ways. 
And I've said this before. There are practices of abstinence and practices of engagement. When we abstain, it's because we want to encounter God more than anything else. So nothing else will do. When we engage, however, we know that by participating in the body life, the church, and when we devote ourselves to the life of Jesus as a disciple, it transforms our souls. Hence, the other three marks of a disciple, which are community, service, and mission. And we'll be talking about those in the coming weeks. But let's just sidestep for a moment. I want to acknowledge and validate someone today. Listen, all you extroverts, all you introverts, all you ambiverts, and the rest of you, okay? Listen, there's so many. Every one of us was created and designed to meet with God. The question is just how, right? And I get it. Your personality does come into play when you pursue God. You know, Gary Thomas says and argues that there are nine, how many is nine? Nine um, sacred pathways to connect with God. And he says that there are well-meaning individuals that forget that a one-size-fits-all approach almost never fits all, right? There's just not one plan for discipleship then. There's not a single pathway that a person should walk this is why when we speak of discipleship at Crosspoint, we talk about marks, not just steps. Our, and our map of discipleship is really not linear. It's all over the place. Because discipleship is not a checklist to be completed, but something that blossoms in the garden of our souls. And so Gary Thomas is saying that we can all be on the same journey in different ways. Being marked as a disciple in the same way through different activities pursuing and connecting with God through different experiences and the passions that we have. Pathways of wonder for the outdoors man and woman. Pathways of contemplation for the daydreamer, the poet, and the brainiac. Pathways of action for the extrovert, for the activist, and the reformer, the adventurer. For every Enneagram number, Myers-Briggs combo, and Grip-Berkman profile, there is a way for you. And for all of these things, I praise God, right? There is some way for us all to connect with God. You know, I, I like to run, to be outside in nature when I run, to read and contemplate, and sometimes I even like to stop on my run and be silent and be alone. And maybe some of you hate the idea of all of that, but there is a way for you still. There is, however, one exception that I'm going to tell you about today. There is found in the life of Jesus a way, a rhythm, a type of godly pursuit that every disciple should at least practice. And so let me show you what I mean. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to get you to swipe over to today's primary passage. And we'll be beginning today in Luke chapter 4 and verse 1. I'll get you to swipe over there, or you can follow along on the screen behind me. Now, this is what's happening in the Gospel of Luke. You know, Jesus had just been baptized in chapter 3 in the Jordan River by his cousin John. And what happened? It's amazing. The heavens open up. The Holy Spirit descends on Jesus in the bodily form of a dove. And the audible voice of God, the Father, acknowledges that he is pleased with Jesus, his beloved son. Talk about a powerful moment, right? Jesus is identified Loved on and affirmed by his father. I mean, just stop for a second. How many of you could use a moment like that right now in your life? Right? Can't miss this. But what happens next? 
Does Jesus jump into the busy ministry life? No. Does he hit the towns, the cities, and the crowds and begin his kingdom campaign? No. This is really interesting. He follows the Holy Spirit where? Into the wilderness. So let's read together, starting verse 1. This is what Luke says. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Holy Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during these days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you're the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And then the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, I will, it will all be all, all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And the devil took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Now, you know, there's so much that could be said about this passage. Uh, We could talk about life in the spirit, about temptation, fasting and prayer, meditating and worship. But let's just stop and think about this for a moment. First, let's ask why. What's the point of Luke chapter 4, 1 to 13. Did Jesus need to be tested? Maybe, but I don't think that's the main point. So then could it be that Jesus entered into the wilderness as an example to us? This is what I believe. Let me tell you two small observations that you may have missed in this passage. Really simply, Jesus withdrew into the wilderness for 40 days. This is an interesting an intentional decision that he makes. Jesus then was out there for a long time, 40 days. But was he alone? Well, no, it, wasn't like, it was like, not likely that there were other people out in the wilderness, but he was not alone. And I don't think that's the point, the other people, but it was likely that Jesus has the community of the Father, the Holy Spirit, and himself. He followed the spirit out there. He was not really alone. So Jesus was alone out there with God. Okay, next observation, number two. Second, the Bible says that after the 40 days, he was hungry, naturally, right? Then the devil came to him. But let me make you a proposition here. What if Jesus' time alone with God and his ability to resist the devil aren't a coincidence? What if Jesus went out there to be with God? And because he did, he was able to resist the three temptations the devil dangles before him. Why? Because this is exactly what happens. The Bible says that after the 40 days in the wilderness, he was hungry. So what does the devil do? Command this stone to become bread. And even though Jesus was hungry, he desired something more. That was why he was out there. That's why he was out there with God. Jesus says it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Why? Because you might have 
the, your immediate need. But if you don't have God, if Jesus didn't have God, he didn't have much. God was his true satisfaction. So Jesus shows us that we resist the devil by spending time with God, really simply. More specifically, in this case, when we are alone with him, focused on him, silent before him, and listening to him. In Luke's gospel, it is in this time with God that Jesus works through and overcomes the three temptations of the devil. Henry now calls these three compulsions of the world in the false self. The temptation to be relevant or towards the immediate. Turn these stones to bread. The temptation to be powerful. I will give you all these kingdoms if you worship me. The temptation to be spectacular. Throw yourself down and let the angels catch you. Do you know any of these temptations? I think we face these compulsions every day. But listen, God is not faced. Jesus says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Are these trials for us? Yes. But they don't test God. And so Jesus shows us that it is only in our union with God that we can resist the temptations of the world. Why? The devil is just waiting for an opportune time. So the struggle is very real. The Bible says our flesh, our old selves, resists God, especially alone time with God, I would imagine. And the devil wants to prevent it and our being with him. So the danger of life without time alone with God is one's playing defense all the time. We're simply more influenced by the world than by God himself. But time alone with God allows us to see our need and limitation and God's perfection and sufficiency and completely change the vantage point by which we live our lives. And so in his book, The Way of the Heart, Henry Nguyen says this. He says, solitude is the furnace of transformation. Without solitude, we remain victims of our society and continue to be entangled by the illusions of the false self. Jesus himself entered this furnace. And that's not it. Not only is solitude the furnace of transformation, this wasn't a one-time thing for Jesus. It wasn't one and done, passed the test. Jesus made alone time with God a regular rhythm of his life. Let me show you. Jesus withdrew to desolate places all the time. Luke 4, 42. After healing many people, Jesus departed and went to the desolate place. Luke 5, 16. After healing a leper, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Luke 6, 12. After healing a disabled man and before the rest of his ministry, in these days he went out to the mountain to pray. Luke 9, 18, after feeding 5,000 before Peter's great confession, now it happened that he was there praying alone. Luke 11, 1, before teaching on prayer, Jesus was praying in that certain place, that place. And Luke 22, 39 to 41, before Jesus' arrest and his execution, and he came out and went, and, and as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, to the place, and he withdrew from his disciples. And that's just some, just some of what is recorded in the Gospel of Luke alone. See, withdrawing to be alone with God was Jesus' customary routine. Everything else was built around that, his life, his work, his ministry. And that's not it. Jesus invites us to make it our own. There's a story in Mark chapter 6 where Jesus sent out the 12 apostles for the first time. 
uh, to, to do ministry with authority and in his name. And there's just a lot of excitement in this moment in the Gospels. And when they returned to report to Jesus all that they had done, there was just so much going on around them. There were people coming and going, the other followers of Jesus, which were many. They didn't even have leisure time to eat. And the very thing Jesus says to them is this. Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. And so they jumped on a boat and went to a desolate place by themselves. See, Jesus invites his followers to come away with him. And why is this important for us today? Well, it's because together, silence and solitude is a vital part of following Jesus. It changes us. Not only that, it sustains us. And surprisingly, it can. I know it's amazing to think of this. It can bring you joy. And so first, in the life of Jesus, we see solitude as opportunity. Solitude is an opportunity to revisit that eternal community, Father, Spirit, and Son, the original communion, intimacy, and identity, and affirmation of your baptism in place where we are reminded of who he is and who we are, that we are sons and daughters who please God, our Father in heaven, and that through time spent with the Spirit, we come to know the Son, Jesus. And so solitude has some amazing potential. Henry Nguyen says that true solitude gets rid of all of our scaffolding, our defense mechanisms, you know, no friends to talk to, no phone to play with, no music, no no meetings, no shows, no books, you know, the list goes on. Just us, naked, vulnerable, weak, sinful, deprived, and broken. We're almost truly alone with God, almost, when we remove all that scaffolding. But even then, solitude is not simply privacy, going to be alone, escapism or emotional regulation. It's not just a place for regaining your strength and energy just so you can continue the rat race of life, even though it can do that. It's true. Solitude is not just a therapeutic place for art therapy and meditation. And finally, if we're really, really, truly honest, our solitude can just be Netflix, avoiding your racing thoughts, and if you're lucky, having a good nap. But that's not it. There's more. Real solitude is an opportunity to encounter the living God of the universe. It's got potential, but our solitude needs silence because we may be able to quiet our surroundings and our devices But can we really quiet our minds, our hearts, our souls? And so it was the conviction of the the Desert Fathers that silence completes and intensifies our solitude. And so these contemplative ascetic monks uh, fled society, especially in Egypt, into the desert and entered the wastelands to be alone. Yet they could not flee their own hearts and minds. Are you, some of you like that? Do you lay awake at night because you can't turn off your brain? You can't hide. Some of you told me already. <laughs> me too. The truth is we live in a wordy world that talks a lot, overthinks, and has a hard time being present and that is afraid of silence. Isn't it? Silence can be deafening, can't it? We feel that awkward social pull 
to say something, to make small talk, talk about the weather, just say something, right? And, and for some of us, we replay the scripts of any situation and conversation over and over in our heads until we're nauseated. But we observe in the life of Jesus a living source of nourishment in his regular withdrawal to spend time with God. And he was relentless about it, almost annoying about it. In his life, we see silence as discipline. We know that Jesus was relentless about being alone with God because he was always disappearing. <laughs> Could you imagine what it was like to be a, dis- a disciple of Jesus? Where's Jesus? Where has Jesus gone? We know that he did this because he had to be with the Father. We know that he did this because he had to pray. And what is prayer but a two-way conversation, right? Jesus needed to hear from his Father, so it is implied that he had to be silent, to listen. We must be quiet. So Jesus teaches us to pray. Yes, that's true. But can he teach us how to be silent? So pursuing God in secret and in silence will take discipline. It's true. I'm not going to lie to you today. It will take time. It will be inconvenient. It will take practice. And most of all, we will need God's help. This is what I'm getting at today. Silence and solitude hold space in our lives to encounter, know, and enjoy God more. It's in silence and solitude that we experience God in a way like no other. In silence, uh, time alone with God, the word comes alive. In silent time alone with God, the spirit can work. In silent time alone with God, we see ourselves as we really are, and God for all that he is. So what can be done in the secret time alone and silent before God is limitless? But let me tell you three ways that it can really just enrich your life with God. First, the regular practice of silence and solitude holds space for communion. See, communion with God is beautiful in two ways, connection and delight. First, you were built for connection. We all need it. We long for it. And no relationship will satisfy your soul like the one you can have with Christ. Your friends and your spouse will never be for you who God can be for you. Some of you might not even realize it, but your soul longs to be with God. That's that feeling you have right now. See, King David knew this. He once wrote from the wilderness, he wrote this in Psalm 63, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. But listen, it's not just about David's words, connecting with God is much more than words. For example, my wife and I have found something special in our own relationship. And now that we have kids, it's even more special. Sometimes it's nice to just spend time together, shoulder to shoulder, in the same room. It's good for our relationship. We feel close, not just physically, but emotionally. And God is no exception to that finding. For example, there's this off-quoted interview um, of Mother Teresa done by the journalist Dan Rather. And this kind of explains what happens when we're with God. And, and Mother Teresa has Dan's head spinning in this interview. As he asked her questions about prayer, she introduces him to what we call listening prayer. And in, in the interview, Dan asks her this. He says, when you pray, what do you say to God? Teresa answered, I don't say anything. I just listen. And so Dan was puzzled. He said, okay, um, when God speaks to you, what does he say? 
She answered, he doesn't say anything. He listens. <laughs> and so Dan's really puzzled. And, and, and Teresa adds to this, if you don't understand that, I can't explain it to you. See, quality time with God is not something you can fully describe. It's something you have to experience. But if you know, you know, you know. Just try it out. So the psalmist encourages us to be still and to know God is God. See, the purpose of silence and solitude is not always to receive secret messages from God. Yet somehow, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, he sends messages directly from his heart to ours. Ones without words, beyond words, doing what words cannot do. And not only is communion connecting with God, but it's also something else. It's delighting in him. I don't know if you know this. This might be a newsflash. We're created to know and enjoy God forever. The psalmist says that our souls find joy in the Lord and delight in his salvation and that we taste and see that he is good. And this is good news, not just for today, but for tomorrow because our eternal hope, the eternal hope of all believers is not just the absence of evil one day, but the eternal presence of God. So now if we reverse engineer that logic, if we can enjoy the presence of God in eternity, we can enjoy him now. So when we are with him, it's like chicken soup for the soul, right? It's like the best medicine, laughing so hard with a friend until you pee your pants, right? Or even better yet, being with God alone and silent is like taking your vitamins. You don't know always how they're good for you. But once you stop taking them for a while, you notice the difference, don't you? And so does everyone else, right? So not do we only long to connect with God and delight in him in this communion, but it changes us. You know, the apostle John says when we abide in him, we grow. And this is why the regular practice of silence and solitude holds space for transformation. And so this is powerful in two ways. It allows for the ministry of confrontation and truth. Sounds scary, doesn't it? Let me explain. Last week, we established that the lifestyle of Jesus with the person of Jesus changes us into the likeness of Jesus. And now we've discovered the lifestyle of Jesus includes time alone with God in silence. And this is what happens. It changes us. Like Paul said, everything around us pushes us to conform to the world. But when we present ourselves to God, we are transformed by what? The renewal of our minds. Sounds like a nice song. The world is trying to push us into conformity, but if we offer ourselves to God, he will renew our minds. So this is what happens when we withdraw into the silent and desolate place like Jesus. First, we are confronted by ourselves. We present ourselves to God just as we are, and we're being ourselves with God. Nobody else is around. And when I come, or you come before God, we're not fooling anyone. I'm needy and broken. You're needy and broken. Then second, God begins to impress the truth into us over time. The truth about us and the truth about him. And over time, through all the noise and resistance, through the, the mess of our scattered thoughts and senses, we are changed. And so, I know this is a lot to take in, so I'm going to show you what I mean. 
And so to explain, I'm going to invite Pastor Amanda to the stage. Uh, can we make some noise for Pastor Amanda? Perfect. And you can face the audience. Um, she was brave enough to trust me, okay? Um, and she's agreed to come up here and help me with this illustration. And this is amazing because of one thing. She has no idea what I'm going to say or do, okay? How are you feeling? Very nervous. We, we talked about this. Okay, um, we expected that. Okay, now we're going to demonstrate what happens when we spend time alone with God. Okay, are you ready? No? Okay, that's fine. Okay, Amanda, I want you to face the audience, and I want you to look at yourself in this mirror. You can hold that. Okay, look at it. Yeah. Perfect. Now, this is what happens when we're silent and alone with God. You can check your hair. It's fine. Okay, look in the mirror. That's you, Amanda. Don't look away. Keep looking. See, this, I know it's awkward on purpose. This mirror represents our vulnerability before God. Do you feel that? Yeah. yeah, okay. The more we are alone and silent before God, it's harder to deceive ourselves about ourselves because nobody else is around. We know the true state of our souls, and God knows too. And you can avoid it for a bit, but after a while, keep looking. <laughs> you can try to avoid it, okay? Keep looking. But after a while, you're forced to look at yourself as you really are, like I'm making Amanda do right now. And so what's the truth? The truth is that we are limited and broken and needy, and God knows that, and we are reminded when we get alone with him. But the good news, Amanda, is that God does not leave us that way. Keep looking. <laughs> God does not leave you that way. Okay, Amanda, I want you to look at me. Sorry, I'm going to block some of you here. Look at me now. Don't look away. How's this uninterrupted eye contact feel? It feels weird, she says. I'm going to tell you some things, okay? You ready? Listen, Amanda. God loves you so, so much. Okay? I know. Sometimes it's hard to believe that, isn't it? I get that. Me too. And so, Amanda, seriously, God so deeply loves you. Do you know that he loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for you? Isn't that amazing? Do you believe that? Like, really? Okay. It takes time to sink deep down, doesn't it? Okay. We expected this. You're doing great. Okay. <laughs> Me too. Um, there's more, though. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Amanda, God is so proud of you. There, no matter you know, what you've done and what you haven't done, he loves to be with you, right? And he, and, and he doesn't need you to be relevant or spectacular or powerful. He doesn't need you to achieve or be successful. He just wants your heart. Isn't that amazing? And so my hope today, and not just with me, but you know, the good news for introverts is that this usually happens alone, okay? Um, <laughs> That's my hope today is that you get alone and that sinks deep into your soul. And that can only happen when we spend undistracted time with God. And so, friends, this is what it, it's like when we regularly spend time alone and silent before God. We encounter in powerful ways that are life-changing 
And you do feel it deeply, right? Thank you, Amanda. You can go now. Thank you so much for being good sport. I might hear about that later. Um, (laughs) uh, We love you. Listen, friends, let me say it again. This is the point. This is the whole point today. Silence and solitude hold space in our lives to encounter, to know, and to enjoy God more. And so let's get down to business before we end today. I want to invite you just to experiment and practice with silence and solitude. Not, not to be perfect at it, but to practice it. Um, and so here are a, key, a couple key considerations for your future quiet time with God. Number one, be ruthless but not reckless, okay? Jesus had to be relentless to get away with God. And you will need to be too. And it's going to take work and creativity and organization and spontaneity. But, you know, like, don't neglect the relationships in your lives, okay? Be ruthless, but not reckless, okay? Number two, it starts with a choice. Then it is followed by a desire. Like so much of following Jesus, it begins with this decisive choice. It may be counterintuitive, countercultural, and that's the point. Plainly, you might hate the idea of sitting alone in silence, but with practice, though, you can grow to love it. So now, when you get home or when you find a chance, sit alone with God. Maybe start with this prayer. Lord, help me be still. You're going to need help. The desire is not going to be there right away. Number three, when you withdraw, okay, introverts, you need to re-engage. I'm sorry, introverts. This is not a slam on you. Okay, I love you. I love you so deeply. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we did something I called coffee break, and you had to talk to strangers, and that was really hard on you, I know. Uh, but this is the good news, okay? And especially for extroverts. This is what Jesus did. He always re-engaged with others after a time alone with God. And it was from that overflow with his communion with the Father, it was an unending source of his compassion and love towards others. Just think about it. Deeply loved people are like that. They love others, right? It comes from that place. And so remember to withdraw, but also to re-engage. Now, four, consider your age and stage, okay? Parents, let me talk to you. There is grace for you today. Sometimes silence and solitude will be short, weird, and even impossible, okay? Some of you know what it's like hiding in your bathroom from your kids, okay? (laughs) Jesus is compassionate towards you. He's a good friend. This practice is not an obligation. It's a blessing. And I'm a parent, and I admit my practice of silence and solitude is not great right now. But I practice it really poorly because I long for it. And even a few crumbs from its tables are nourishing for me. And one day... I will enjoy it as a full meal one day. And so it's important now because it's going to be really important later. Consider your age and stage, okay? There's grace for that. And so finally, my encouragement to you is just to start with 10 minutes. Start with 10. Like any practice, start slow and small. Go somewhere quiet and alone. Set a timer. Ask for God's help. Let the thoughts work through their way, their way through your brain, and just be with God. Church, just imagine it, what that could mean for us. If we were just preoccupied with God, 
if we were to live into our daily lives out of the regular quiet time with God, transformed by the love of God into the image of God, and not conformed to the compulsions of the world and the false selves, not only is that amazing, it's possible today, but we need God's help. So I'm going to close by asking God for his help. Let's pray. And then we're going to invite Elder Dave up to close. Lord Jesus, we long to be with you. That is our heart's desire, truly, the true one. Help us sit still, not just our body, but mind, to silence the noise in our lives, Lord Jesus. Help us do that. There, we ad- you would just admit that there isn't much space in this modern world, so we ask that you would deal gently with us in this. We need your grace. But we also need an encounter with you, God, more than anything. We need your presence. So we ask that you would meet us. That's our prayer. Help us, we pray. We love you. Amen. Hey, and welcome back. Thanks for listening to this Sunday's message. We hope that we've helped you in your spiritual journey and that you're drawing closer to God. At Crosspoint, we gather on Sundays at 10 a.m. in Northeast Edmonton and throughout the week in something we love to call home groups. Home groups are encouraging and transformational communities for people just like you. We believe that the journey of faith is done together. So we hope that you'll connect with us at thecrosspointchurch.ca. Now, let me remind you of who you are. You are the people of God, called by God into his redemptive mission in the world. So be who you are.